Good morning, and Good morning. thank you for being here. Um, some of you I recognize um, uh, from, from the last week or the last couple of weeks. Um, what I'd like to do is, is um, and, and Anne's done a wonderful job of, of linking my three themes, but uh, just for us um, to get a sense of, of what we have been doing and then get on to the task at hand. Just to give you a quick uh, run-through of, of the design of, of the three-part uh, series. So, as, as you recall, much of what I'm doing, I've explained, is something that I've been grappling with as a Christian disciple. Uh, I'm realizing now much more than ever in my life. Uh, I, I uh, uh, was 60 last September that I'm not interested anymore about things that are fanciful. Um, I'm really interested in things that are relevant to me. And I'm finding that my students then perk up because they feel someone that's thinking because of the experience of his journey. And so, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm struggling about how one holds together deep and passionate love for Jesus Christ. Because I would die for no other except for my Lord and Master. And yet, realize that my heart has been warmed, my heart has been tugged by wonderful, amazing, spectacular wisdom and truth that comes from other religious traditions. I would be reminisce, uh, uh, I, I would be completely fraudulent almost not to live from the joy of these encounters and yet I can only live for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this is in a sense, the joy, which is also a quandary for me. And that's what I'm trying to navigate. And I sense that for those who have their eyes open in ways that truly see God and God's splendor and spaciousness everywhere, are trying to hold both of these together. And so what I did is to give you a sense in the first class about how I feel a sense of belonging. And I told you that I felt that I was multiply hyphenated in my belonging. I felt conjoined with my God whom I love. I felt coupled in a blessed way with neighbors that Jesus had called on the journey. I, some of them I didn't want on the journey with me. But because he is the only one who can say, come and follow, I have said I will be faithful to being a co-disciple with those whom he followed. And then I talked about what it means to be compassionate in this journey and behaving in such a way that we emulate the master to keep an eye 
on the leading of the master, but also keep the other eye on all those who are part of the journey. And as I said, with the preferential eye out for those that the master preferred, which is the broken, the wrecked, the poor, the oppressed. And I'm feeling much more now those whom we have othered. We've said we are all self and they are other. We will be afraid of them. We don't want them. And many times within my journey, as I see over the last 10 years, the other often has been the Muslim, the Sikh that I think is Taliban, but is not at all. They're a different religion. The Hindu who got shot, being mistaken for a Middle Easterner a couple of days ago. And so as a Christian now, I say my compassion has to be shown. I need to do something in order to be faithful to what, as I told you before, I have learnt, which is the kingdom of God lies not just up there, not just inside, but in between us. And to guard that space so that the one who calls and says, come and follow, there will always be space near me, beside me, in the midst of me. So today what I'm going to work with is to get to the third aspect. Okay, so we talked about what it means to belong in a multiply hyphenated way. We talked about what it means to be passionately Christian, and I explained to you that passion is not being revved up and wanting exactly what you want in life, but exactly the opposite. It is being passively open to where Jesus is leading us, to whom Jesus Christ is leading us. And today, I want to get to believing. I want to look at this and say, aha, how can I say, I believe, and what do I believe? And I will take us through three models of belief. A lot of this represents my own journey. And then to place with you an invitation to become an orthodox believer. Not wanting to you to become heretics, not wanting to you be, you know, loosey-goosey liberals. My claim to you is come and believe. Let us be orthodox believers together in what I'm saying is the spaciousness of our triune God. Before I get started with all the verbose ways in which we will look at this, let me invite you to be spaciously Trinitarian by invoking the triune one. And I will do it in a way in which I would have done it if I were in India. I'm going to lead you in a meditation which is called a bhajan. I ask you to take a prayerful posture, close your eyes, and what will happen to you is that you will be drawn into a rhythm and movement. And the movement of the Trinity is both rest and 
agitation. Rest in the depth of God. Agitation to become part of the spirit of God in God's creative process. You will hear a few words. You may recognize them. But one word I want you to keep in mind is saranam, which is refuge. So what we're seeking now is refuge in this spacious abode of the Trinity. So you will hear Yeshu, you will hear Yahweh, which you know, Yehovah, Yeshu, and Tuyavi, which is pure spirit. Okay? So let's start, take a posture of prayer, and I'm invoking the presence of the Trinity and inviting you to seek refuge, Sharanam, in the Spirit, in God, in Jesus. Yehovah Sharanam, 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 Yehovah Sharanam. Yeshu Vesharanam, 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 Yeshu Vesharanam. Tu ya visharanam, 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 tu ya visharanam. Yehu visharanam. Yesu Vesharanam, Tuya Vesharanam, Sharanam, Sharanam, Sharanam. Oh, gracious God. Life of all, animator of everything, but the one that calls us into deep rest and stillness. Give us strength to draw deep within the cove of your heart, where there is rest, stillness, embrace. But also give us courage, O oh God to be animated by the life you draw us to, which involves relationship, love,
care, reconciliation, peace. Thank you for the fullness of your being, which is spacious, O Triune One. Amen. Okay, so what I would like to do with you is to offer you three models, that, and you will find that this is so much part of our own thinking and our early Sunday school days. The first is the most basic model. I wouldn't be surprised if, if many of us are still there uh, um, within this particular model, which is uh, what is an older Ptolemaic view of the universe or a geocentric model of the universe, which is uh, Christ-centered but often Christ-only model, that we don't get messed up so much with other aspects of God in the Trinity that we affirm every week when we come together and talk about our belief in the Nicene Creed. And I say that this is usually Christ-centered or Christ-only model. It's usually talked about in terms of Christocentric or Christomonist, which is only Christ. And in general, what we've done is we have operated alongside an older model of thinking of all of reality. And so what we do is because we live in Christ, we make, the Christ, make Christ the center and think that everything is revolving around only Christ. Right? Which is like what we think of as the older geocentric model of the universe. So the earth is what we know. And what naturally is the first step of our thinking is that, geez, all the other planets revolve around the Earth. And so we thought, oh, that's why we get the sun, and that revolves around a certain way, and the moon is going in a different direction, and they all come about, and everything is geocentric. And often our thinking about religions has this particular viewpoint, which in many ways is not biblical. If you look at what happens with God, where God is the center. Jesus Christ is the gift as the Son. The Spirit then is the gift of God that is breathed into the world in order for us to continue to be vivified into life in all God's fullness based on the pattern of Jesus Christ. So, in general, I myself, through the phases of my own life, I, I'd say I was converted into Christianity because of a very Christomonist model. And for many years, um, Yahweh was just a secondary figure for me. It just so happened that, okay, he was Jesus' 
Father. That's fine. So that's Jesus' relationship. My relationship is with Jesus. And of course, like most of us, the spirit was a naughty problem. K-N-O-T-T-Y. Just, I didn't fully get what was going on. I didn't know if, you know, the spirit was actually the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of God that was sent. You know, there was lots of confusion. So I just said, instead of being confused, let me be more passionate in Jesus Christ. And that's basically all that there is, right? So this is, in general, I find, even my students theologically come with this model. They know it. It's easy for them. It makes sense. And as you know, there's been studies that in many ways, in spite of all the science, the intuitive model that we have, even in terms of our thinking, is a geocentric world. We can't think of the world basically going around and around and all of us spinning. So it's much easier to think, yeah, we're kind of flat, we're up here, and everything is going around us. Right? It just almost seems the more natural model that we're working with. But then there's also what is called, and what we know now is, is reality based on cosmological science, is a heliocentric model, which, of course, uh, uh, Copernicus brought about and ran into trouble with the church because the church said, no, this is not biblical. If you look at this, you know, it was all flat. There's sky above us, and that's where all God came out and just produced all these. And there's, there's uh, you know, firmament below us. And so don't, don't, don't complicate this. This is very simple. And as I said, even today it's intuitive. You, you ask yourself, it's much more difficult to think of a heliocentric world in which we're going upside down, somehow we're held together in some strange way, while the Australians are basically walking on their heads or... I mean, walking on their feet, but with, with in an odd way, like as though they're floating. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, after 14 hours, we're doing the same. It just doesn't hold together, right? And, and so here what happens is there's a almost coming back and saying, a refocus in the shift of theology and saying, aha, yes, God comes before Jesus. <laughs> Got to do something about this. This is the reality. And so then what happens is that we put God at the center and we're allowed then to say, oh, maybe others also share in this God. But then what we do is we say, oh, Jesus is the one that's closest to earth or the sun because they're all revolving around the sun. So Jesus is the closest to the sun. And all the others are really distant and they could be knocked off. So it's better to call them and drag them and say, come, let's be close to the sun. Like the sun Jesus was. So S-U-N, S-O-N, you know, play with it, whatever you want. So in a sense, a lot of my working was within a second model. Why? Because as I said, I'm passionately Christian. I will die for nobody else but Jesus Christ. Not for Rama, not for Krishna, not for Buddha not for anyone else. It's for Jesus that I will give my life. And so it was easier than for me to say, okay, we're really close to God. Almost we can say, we are the circumference of God. Which means, Jesus is the circumference of God, which means that you cannot get into God apart from the circumference of Jesus. It was easy for me. It was wonderful. I said, yes, hallelujah. This sounds good. And a lot of Christians are willing to go thus far. 
But of course, others are concerned because they need to say that all the other planets are going to crash and burn and there will be no life. Right? So it sets up this odd relationship and it sets up, I would say, almost unfair advantage of all those that had the gift of following based on parentage and culture. See, you think about it. Can you decide? I, I can't, right? Why was I born into a Christian family? I'm the sixth generation of consecutive priests in my family. Sixth generation. And the first of whom was the first to be ordained in India. Right? So we go back a long time. Because we have two sons. No pressure. And we're like, seventh is the biblical. Wonderful year, right? And then I made a mistake of sharing with them about 15 years ago that I was taking a sabbatical from my work and taking off to do something else. So they heard now, the sabbatical is an off year. So they told me, Dad, I think the Lord has revealed to us that we are the sabbatical generation. We get an off generation. So now you have to work on your grandchildren, right? So we have one grandchild. So we've become across Skype. He lives in Darwin in Australia. But we start working with our religious education. So every time he's eating with his mum and dad, they haven't done it. So I said, Roshan, have you said your thank you, Jesus, before you've attacked your cereal? And the mum's looking at, you know, oh, we forgot today. And dad's saying, oh, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, and he will try to get him to say amen. Right? Anyway, that's going away from, from the whole point of trying to live within this and trying to say, Jesus is really close to everything that's happening. But the problem, as I said, is one in which we are born into privilege and the others are not. So how do you work with this? Is this a sufficient theology to hold together? The other thing is that in the end, whatever you may say, this is slightly crash and burn thinking, right? Which I told you earlier. And so I'm now more and more uh, uh, working beyond this. But before that, this is, this is a wonderful quotation uh, from no other than Desmond Tutu. And he says it in his own way, trying to get us to move away from simply working with a Christocentric theology. And he's moving us towards this God-centered or Son-centered, heliocentric theology. He says, to claim God exclusively for Christians is to make God too small and in the real sense is blasphemy. God is bigger than Christianity and cares for more than Christians. He has to, if only for the simple reason Christians are quite late arrivals on the world scene. God has been around since even before creation, and that is a very long time. Wonderful African way of telling the story. It's like, almost we would say, how could this be? Your God is too small, may serve you, but doesn't serve the whole world. So he's pushing us to move beyond a Christocentric to a God-centered form of thinking. I'm going to ask you to be firm believers in orthodoxy. Um, this is a very tough 
uh, 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 su subject. I, I usually take six hours working with my students. But I'll just place before you what it means to say, I believe that God is Trinity. Which is, if you can say if there's one orthodox affirmation that Christians make all over the world, the orthodox and the Protestants and the Catholics, is that God is Trinity. To put it differently, God is community rather than sole individual. Okay? Um, God is triune. Okay? Now, what this does for me is now, I told you what I'm struggling with, it allows me now to see something that I haven't seen before, and that is in this affirmation is spaciousness. And in many ways, I haven't thought about it because I wanted singularity. Jesus only, my Jesus, me and my Jesus, yeah, we're the deal, let's go for it, we're together. Jeez, I don't know about the rest, but they can take care of themselves, or maybe Jesus, please take care of them. You know, this, this singularity is what gave me strength. And now what I'm realizing is my orthodoxy is asking me to find a larger, a more spacious, a more capacious God that includes everyone, but also includes me in some ways. And learning that it's not either or, and how this works together within the Trinity. I, I love this imaging of, of the, 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 this, this, this way in which one looks at the Trinity, because it, it builds stillness and dynamism into God. Most of the time, most of us want security when we want assurance, and therefore we want no movement. You, me, it's okay, see you in heaven. The idea of the Trinity brings a certain dynamism with it. Okay? And I like these three terms for the Trinity. It comes from an Indian theologian. And this Indian theologian, they're still debating, is he really a Christian or a Hindu? And so a lot of people call him a Hindu hyphenated Christian. He really did. He's quite confused. Right? But he was amazing because he was drawing us into this Trinity. So he talks about the Trinity as the still God, the journeying God, and the returning God. So within God itself, God needs an other in order to love. Otherwise, God can't experience love. It will be self-love, which is hubris. Right? So you need God to have difference. You need God to have communion with difference. And all of that should be related in love. Otherwise, it's not the God that we know. So you have the still God. You have within God's self the journeying, the one comes out in order to be the other, to love. And then through the spirit is almost the in-between God. You have a movement towards communion, a return into God. Now, we don't know God, and I'm still I'm trying to tell you about what is God within God, right? So let's leave that and move to God as we know God. Think about the wonderful history that we see within the scripture, which is God is in God's stillness and doesn't need any other. God creates within that stillness. 
And God realizes that we're far away. We've moved away to a far away country. So what does God do? In Jesus Christ, God journeys to this far away country, comes to the depth of our sinfulness, and to the furthest point of where humanity is, dwells among all of this, and then shows us how God wants us to live. And the Holy Spirit then starts dragging all of this humanity back into God. Knowing that we can only have eternal rest when this movement is finished and we come back and rest in God. Okay? So there's something about the history of the Trinity as well that is linked up. But all of this means that there has to be difference, there has to be communion, and there has to be love. There's a still one, a journeying one, and a returning one back to where God wants all of us to be. Which is what we say, the end point is where God will be all in all. And all the kingdoms will reign in such a way that God will be glorified. That's the end point of this vision. Now, what we're now realizing is that biblically, this is not some other world somewhere else. But it is God that is in fact making this dwelling place and eventually the dwelling place is a new heaven and a new earth. The earth will behold God's glory and all things will be gathered up and reconciled to each other. Human beings, all of creation, you with your enemy, I with mine, you with some friends, I with some of your friends and you with some of my friends. That's the form of reconciliation that happens within this triune God. Now, what I believe, and this is what I want to lay before you today, is that this gives us amazing ways in which we can passionately live for Jesus Christ and truly say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, but also say within the spaciousness of God, there may be other forms in which God will redeem for everybody else what they want. Because if Jesus can give us salvation, which is what we want, surely the triune one has enough spaciousness and graciousness to give forth the blessedness that others may desire it as well. So there's a certain way in which you can hold together, yes, I believe, that in Jesus Christ, one is gifted salvation. And I offer you Jesus Christ. And salvation is only through this Jesus Christ. Without saying that if you want something apart from reconciliation with each other, perhaps if you want to merge in God, and that's technically not salvation for us, it's deification with God, maybe the fullness of the Trinity can guarantee those religious blessed ends as well. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So it doesn't prevent me from offering Jesus Christ to others. Now, you'll immediately say, but oh no, the Bible is a little confusing on this, Professor Clark. Let's not paper over the Bible. This is serious stuff. 
theology can't be done within scripture. So let's go to the verse and that which intrigues most of us in terms of Jesus Christ claiming that Jesus is the only way. So um, are you able to read it? I'm sorry there's too much uh, uh, text in there, but I needed this uh, because this is one of the most difficult verses that we look at. So uh, let's, let's look at that quickly. And, and I won't read it. I'll let you read it. Um, except once you finish reading, then I will actually work with you on this. Done reading? Okay. Um, now, I'm offering this to us in order to move us from the Jesus only model that we have in our head in general to a spaciously Trinitarian model. So I have to actually now create space in God. Okay. What strikes you? Which I, I put some things in red. So things that in fact we generally don't look. Because most of us are arguing with everybody else about this. right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. If Jesus had stopped there, we'd have all felt blessed. But then he goes on and says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? So that's like a double whammy. One is like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the others, don't think you can get there except by me. Right? Okay. Now, what strikes you about this? There's this I pointed to the singularity of Jesus. What strikes you about this that you can create space? Yes. Excellent. See, this is what I've been, I was struck by. See, I, 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 I struggle with proof texters, right? Because it's easy stuff. So, Professor Clark, what do you think I am the way through? And I was like shaking for the first few times. Oh, yeah, this, yeah I'm not so sure. Uh, oh, there are other passages. And then I read this and I said, the passage starts with something that's completely confounding and allows for more than singularity, right? So do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. The first thing is not believe in me, strangely. The first thing is believe in God. Believe also in me. Almost like, uh oh, by the way, please, can you also believe in me? Which is, again, that's Jesus. See, you look at John. Jesus is a pleader. His love pleads. Again, all of this is so important to who we are. If you have an image of Jesus being the commander and the instructor, in your own life with your spouse, you'll be the commander and the instructor. If you believe in Jesus as the pleader, keep what you want. Be your unique self that God has created you. But please, could you also, because we're journeying together as husband and wife, as partners, can you also Think about how I'm journeying. So a lot of these images have something in terms of our real life. It, it really impacts what happens. And I'm, as I told you, I'm saying this out of being a convert. Because when I started off, it was easy actually to control Prema that came in last week. And decided she's had enough of me talking for 36 years apart from listening to me again. right? But suddenly through this learning, I've also realized 
Jeez, this is a different Jesus. A pleader. And someone already mentioned the second that we see over here. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. For those of you who are about my age or above, you remember the King James Version? In my father's house, there are? In my father's house, there were many mansions. Now, look at the contradiction there. Can you think the logic? See, all this logic that we have, can you have many mansions within a house? So what it's trying to tell you, in this mysterious spaciousness of God, just because you want to trap and feel secure and say, man, everything's going well for me, and it's easier for you to dump everybody else, don't use scripture that works only for your advantage. We need to hold both of these together. So going back to this particular passage, the first thing you have to do is think about John. Like, first, you have to interpret every passage in its context. All of us know, was John the first or the last of the gospel writers? Last. Uh, much after Jesus' time, correct? So let's look at the context of what John is writing for. And he's addressing very specific troubled hearts of certain disciples. Okay, he's not... Uh, talking about all of us who live among Hindus and Muslims and Christ, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, Muslims and Buddhists. That's not what the context is. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He's talking to a specific audience. So what is the context? This is very important. The context that we see in the Gospel of John, which is written much after Jesus' time, it was a context in which Jewish Christians were wondering whether they needed Judaism too to get to God. So they were Christians that were wondering, should we listen to the Judaizers and say, okay, you need Judaism as well. And as you know, the new phase within the church, those who were not Jews also said, oh no, you need Judaism as well. So what is happening here? He's assuring them and saying, we will get you to the same place. Believe in me. Right? If you want to believe in God from the Judaic tradition, believe in God, believe also in me. If you basically want to be somebody else that is following me, believe in God, but also believe in me. Okay? So you see here this inclusion of what God is doing, even in the passage that we've heard consistently in terms of... So what is Jesus saying? The Jesus way is a sufficient and sure way to God. That's what is happening here. He's telling them, don't let your heart be sure. Believe in me. Believe also in God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So trust me and walk in my way and I will get you to God. Second, we notice, which we already talked about a lot, is the non-exclusionary nature of the Jesus way in the text. It's sandwiched between two other persons of the Trinity. Um, if you go further down, it's not just believe in God, believe also in me. By verse 16, he will be talking about giving yourself and trusting another advocate to be with you forever. Okay? So, 
having said believe in me and believe in God, by the 16th verse he makes this triple jump and it's like, double jumps are good enough, why do you want the third jump? Anyway, suddenly what happens, you have this wonderful gift of being part and parcel of something much more spacious. So, you know, rhetorically I ask my students who will say, no, all that you say is fine, Professor Clark, but you're just doing a thing on us. This is what you Indians do with your logic. We now know if it's not A, it's not B, and you've told us that the whole thing is between A and B. No one knows what's going on. Can you please, I just want to stand with Jesus Christ alone. So I ask them the rhetorical question. So if the Holy Spirit or Yahweh wants to bring into blessedness of the Trinity their own, what will you do? Oh, in that case, maybe Jesus will have to be consulted. So I said, has Jesus, in Jesus' consultation, you've done lots of strange things in your life. In that consultation, did Jesus usually forgive you and embrace you or says, no, no, no. This is the only legal way in which we'll go. Oh, I think Professor Clark, I will get him because of grace and love. So what will Jesus do then? Oh, I think it may be okay, but I'm not willing to go there. Right? So you can see what's going on over here. Again, I understand them. This is a natural tension that all of us have between wanting to affirm singularly and wanting to affirm together. So let me get to my final slide in terms of what I think is, is, is the beauty of belief in a, the spaciousness of the Trinity. So as I see it, it allows us to do both. So salvation as conceptualized as communion is only possible through Jesus Christ. So I always tell uh, uh, the Hindus that work with me, uh, they love to say, yeah, Jesus is God, you know, that's fine, no problem, everybody is God. And I said, no, the offer that Jesus makes is salvation. And I tell them, I'm not trying to tell you the salvation that is, I would say, Greek. What is Greek notions of salvation? Where some individual monad, and if you just believe in some mantra way that lots of religions love to do, suddenly you believe a mantra and you say a mantra enough times, suddenly you'll escape from fire and you will have glory forever. I'm not talking about that. What is biblical salvation is wholeness. That is, Jesus can offer you relationship with God that is reconciled. So whatever sin you have is forgiven and you come to live a life of fellowship. However, the only way that Jesus offers you is you cannot have that without also having reconciliation with your brothers and sisters. So if you cannot love your enemy, if you cannot love, whether it's your daughter-in-law, son-in-law, or in-law, or ex-law, whatever, whatever different you have, if you cannot be part of that, because in case they also listen and say, come and follow to Jesus, and they are following, if you cannot be part of that, this is not the way. Because the only way that Jesus is talking about, where the way, the truth, which leads to life abundant, is part and parcel of what is offered in terms of forgiveness of sins, which then allows you also to forgive those around you and to live within not just being reconciled with God, but being reconciled with those that you do not want to be reconciled with. That is grace. 
See, to make up with those that are somewhat okay with you, but somewhat not, is not grace. That is common sense. We do that in our families, with relatives that we really don't think much of. Right? That's, that's family. That's just contractual. But the covenant is to walk within a relationship in which truly we've received forgiveness, and that flows sidewards. And everyone says, this is the person I would like to be in this very difficult situation. I want this person there because there's something about the love of God that I see that accepts me even though I'm rotten. Why? Because that's the grace that's been given to me. And that's the grace then that mirrors to everything that happens around me. So I can take this as the gospel. I can say, yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life towards wholeness and salvation. I have no qualms about taking this out as the gospel to my Muslim friends, to my Hindu friends. And for the Hindus, it's very easy because they all want to get to God. And they want all their karma to be burnt away by God. But whether they want, if you're a caste person, to live with Dalit human beings or the untouchables, no, sir, that's not pure. How can we do then Jesus Christ is not your way, the truth and the life. And if there is salvation and there's wholeness for all of us, you will have to opt out. Because this is the only way that I know. And I tell them, there's joy in this way. There's peace in this way. There's love in this way. Like you'll never, ever imagine. So what it allows us to do is to talk about salvation as the experience of fullness in a web of relationships with God and others that God brings into this blessed relationship. That's why I say we have a gospel that can change the whole world. But we have corrupted the gospel to suit who we would like to be in this world. And so we have very little to offer. And so what we go doing to people is that, oh, don't look at me, don't look at us, we can't help any of you, but if you want to go to heaven, just say, Jesus is Lord, and he forgives you, and everything will be okay. And remember when you said it, could be when you're 40, 50, which day, and then when you go up there, just say, oh, you remember, in 1954, this is what I did, praise the Lord, and I believe that this one, who is the way, the truth, and the life, will say, oh, there are many, many who've said, Lord, Lord, to me. But did you recognize me in all those that I called and said, come and follow? And did you notice that they're your brother and sister? And in the journey lies life. In the journey is spread truth. Because on this way is eternal living or everlasting living. Right? Again, I, I, I struggle, not just with the church in general, not just the community, but myself as well, right? So, you know, this is an excellent case in point. Everyone touts, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So we tout, we scream the way, the truth, and the life. But dear friends, dear Sati, is the way to be touted or is the way to be walked in? So we've taken the most concrete invitation to walk in the way 
and we've made it into a mantra and we're screaming, this is the way, that is the way, why don't you go this way? And I think we're all going to be called to account in terms of the way of salvation that is given up to us in Jesus Christ. But what this also allows to do is the spaciousness of the Trinity ought to be rich enough to guarantee other religious ends that can bring peace and fullness by the grace and love of God. I'm now realizing that my call is to invite people to the good news that I know, which is salvation through Jesus Christ, which means being forgiven by God and therefore, almost naturally because of grace, being a person that overflows with forgiveness to people around you. Right? So that's my salvation. I'm able to hold that. But I'm also able to think about if God has this wonderful spaciousness of being around us, would this grace be offered then in different ways that God itself will show forth and I can also celebrate? Because that's what makes me also a gracious person. See, what makes me a gracious person is not feeling good when I'm proved right. What makes me gracious is also being proved slightly wrong when God vindicates other forms that I think shouldn't be vindicated. So, for example, the good example is the Buddhist. So, the Buddhist good news is not to live forever and ever like us, right? Within reconciled relationship. The Buddhist end is almost to become nothing, right? Now, of course, some part of uh, people like the Dalai Lama will push and say, nothingness is not the end, but it is the blessedness of peace, where there is no restlessness, which means almost a perfect merger with peace. Okay? So it's both sometimes negative. But what if God says, oh, so this individual doesn't want to be an individual, because they feel that every time the I is asserted, they're living for something extremely selfish, and the only way to live in peace is to empty the I within peace, which is God. So what if God says, yeah, the Trinity is gracious, is full, I will allow this to happen. Same thing, it allows me to use then great graciousness to my Jewish brothers and sisters. If God has called you, and you are faithful to what God contracted with you as a covenant, who am I to say, God has changed God's mind, and you better be accountable to who, what I want. It allows a certain spaciousness without robbing me of the privilege of offering what I know to be true. What is full, what has redeemed me, what has freed me. So, what I think we're asked to do, particularly within our reform tradition, is to reclaim what it means, the risk, the joy, the fullness of what it means to live within the spaciousness of the Trinity. And living within the spaciousness of the Trinity doesn't take away from us the responsibility to live singularly, to keep Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, but also realize the life is life abundant, which I don't know fully about, because I don't know what it means to live abundantly. Thank you. We have about 10 minutes. Um, uh, questions, discussions? Uh, yes, please, sir. Uh, first of all, I want to 
thank you for an outstanding series. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I would like to make a statement related to your presentations, uh, but I want your opinion about this statement. Uh, as uh, a trader of teachers, I have always said to preface the, the, my statement, as a, as a teacher trainer, I have always said to my students, if you look at the three ingredients of education, the objectives, the content, and the activities, and the methodology, we, we discuss each of these separately because we can't talk about two things at the same time. But in the operation called at the educative process, or in the situation where there is learning and teaching, all three of those ingredients are working together right. in an integrated fashion. Now, my question is this. You have done a phenomenal job explaining belonging, behaving, and believing. In the process that we might call Christian life, can we say that all these three are synergetically related to each other, integrated in a fantastic way, helping each other, promoting each other, uh, uh, and uh, feeding each other in an integrated fashion uh, harmoniously throughout our lives? I, I think you've already suggested why we cannot cut out any of these in our lives. Um, and we know this because we live in community. You ask anyone that you live with how these three are related, just as you said within teachers. I think they will say that this is key to who one is in one's life. Again, keep in mind how I started. The theme was cultivating Christianness. Christianness, I am finding, is rooted in all three of these. Our way of belonging to each other. The depth of what this belonging is. Not just to say that we belong and feel good about it, but to behave in such a way that this is part and parcel of what we do in Jesus Christ. But I also am concerned when someone says, oh, you know, your life is your message, don't worry about it, it doesn't matter what you believe, right? And I'm finding in my own life, belief plays an incredibly complex role. So a lot of times I've set it as though believing comes after belonging and behaving. But I'm finding in my life, sometimes my belief bends me towards belonging and behaving in certain ways. So even though I have made it a three-part series, I'm finding that a lot of people are drawn into believing, and then they find the onus and the joy of trying to belong and behave in different ways. So I think what you help us do, and the, the word that you use is really good. They're integral to each other without one being the only way through which you can enter this. I think that's helped a lot because I think we're all different. I mean, I think we're all different. Some people need to behave in certain ways before they can feel belonging. Some people need to belong before they can say, be, you know, believing. So I think what I've tried to do is hold all three together. And I think because we're all slaves to time and process, I had to work out a threefold series, and so I worked it this way. But I think what you help us do 
is, is very important for us to keep in mind. So, so if you keep this and say, oh, let me first get my belonging right, and then I'll talk about behaving. No, it may not be so. I think we're all called through ways of working this. Now, one can even, uh, uh, you know, I've just thought about this after you said, one can even align this in terms of belonging as God the Creator, Okay, being rooted in creator and that's therefore creation, human beings and all. One can talk about behaving as Jesus, which is the compassionate one. And one can then talk about believing as coming about based on what the Holy Spirit allows us to say because of the grace and power and courage that the Spirit gives within us. So there's a lot of ways in which we can play this, but I think your point is the most important keep in mind that they're all integrated and they are all invitational and one doesn't really know which pathway you're called to enter into this integrate, integral world together. Thank you. Yes. Uh, also, thank you. <coughs> in debates during college years and later with people within the Christian framework or not, often people have said, well, if, if you're not a Christian, you know, how are you going to be saved? You have rejected God. And often I would comment, if God the Creator is loving, and we are all in His image, and we are all His children, how could six billion people be condemned to hell? And that would sort of stop the conversation. Hmm. Not the beliefs. Yep. But the second thing I wanted to ask you, as opposed to that observation, was... Um, we all know, or those who have studied Islam to some degree, I not extensively, but some, know that it's based with a great deal of uh, acknowledgement and space in the Quran to the Old and the New Testament stories. And uh, I have only a much fainter understanding of Hinduism. But my question is this. Uh, what you have shared with us is very critical to the Christian community embracing the whole world's community, the world community of religions. In Islam, or in Hinduism, for what you know so far, do we also see some of this re-looking at their own scriptures that produces a recognition, not necessarily a choice you should become a Christian, mm -hmm. but that Christians are also part of God's whole community? Uh, my, my own sense is that that's happened a lot with Hinduism and Buddhism, for years, right? Because both of them are within a, 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 a worldview that holds everything together, including other species. Um, Christianity does it much, much more overtly than Islam. Um, we need to go into this later. Uh, look out for uh, you know a, a book that I, I, I will be out uh, in in April. Uh, is competing religious fundamentalisms. Religious extremism in Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism. It, I, I, I've just finished that book. It will be out. Uh, this addresses some of what you're talking about. right? Uh, I would say that Christianity has taken much of a lead in this, as I see this across the world. There's a way in which we can do this. The Trinity is a wonderful way in which you can do this. Uh, let me leave it at that. You may need to get me after the book is out to talk about some of these issues, you know. Um, uh, so, but this is a really uh, common point. Again, let me just end with, with a story because, you know, I, I, I really believe in, 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 in stories and I have a couple of minutes, so I will finish 
uh, well in time. This, the first question that you ask, it's a still struggle for me, right? Heaven, hell, ends. If it's destruction, shouldn't I warn people? Why do I accept them when God may not? All this concern. Um, I told you, one of, one of my mentors in the Christian faith and will always be the mentor for me is my father. He was bishop in Madras, extremely powerful human being. Um, we've had from, uh, uh, from Billy Graham onto archbishops uh, uh, live, stay with us uh, in, in our home in Chennai. Uh, but he always realized that his job was, it was easy to get the rich and famous to live with you. That was not a problem. In fact, you benefit from it. But he said his task is really to live among the poor, the wrecked, and those who, in fact, couldn't do much. And towards the end, he went back uh, for, for three or four years. His Christmas often was uh, celebrating Eucharist with leprosy patients in, 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 a, in a community. And what he would do is would drink from the same cup. That was his discipline. He just said, I, I will want to be part of this. Right? He died in 2010. 2011, I had a dream. Uh, and the dream was that I died. Uh, I went to heaven, fortunately. Um, and went. Uh, the first thing I did was to look for my father. I went all over heaven looking for him. He was not there. I just broke down. And I wept and I wept and I wept. And then I opened my eyes and through my tears I saw my father outside heaven on the margins of hell helping people like he always did. And that day, I woke up and said, Oh Lord, I offer now to be a chaplain in hell because that's what attracted me to serving you. And what is it that I'm just doing it here as a guise to quietly enter heaven and sit on your, in the center? No. Help me in my life also when the time comes to take what you want for me and allow me to do this. This is the Jesus way for me. And it was, you know, I, I, I then woke up. I, I first, when, when I saw the first time, I said, oh my God, I can't wake up to this. I, I will not live. Then I woke up and said, I now have new resolve to live according to the one that called me that I will follow, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you.